It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 10 years we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, so much has happened between the last time we recorded The Proper and today. It frankly feels like years have passed. Uh, Obviously, we were able to track a lot of it over on the Patreon page with our content there. But if if somehow anyone who is listening to this show whose only interaction with MMA is listening to the proper man, you have no idea what we're even going to talk about this week, because basically the whole UFC 279 pay-per-view card blew up late last week, and then was reassembled as a totally different and perhaps arguably better animal. So we're going to spend the bulk of today's show talking about that, breaking down as much as we can about the craziness of last week and what ultimately happened on Saturday night inside the cage, where we got five catch weights as part of the UFC 279 card. And of course, big wins for Nate Diaz Kamzat Shemaev, and a host of others. First, though, we took a trip to Great Falls over the weekend to yeah, watch we B- BKFC 29. We were up there on Saturday night, so neither of us watched UFC 279 live. We tracked it via social media, and then we both caught up on the, the UFC pay-per-view once we got back. We've already posted a road report over on the Patreon page. You, me, Sir Nigel Longstock made the trip. And uh, I would say we had a very interesting time watching yeah. a, a night of bare-knuckle fights at the granddaddy of them all, the Pacific Steel and Recycling Arena there in Great Falls. What, just, I just want you to tell the people your main takeaways, your your uh, your overall feelings about what we partook in on Saturday night. Well, first of all, this was an interesting way for us to find out what was happening at UFC 279 because kind of checking our phones throughout the evening. One thing I'll say for the bare knuckle fighting championship show is that they get you in and out of there in a, in a timely fashion. You know, we saw an entire fight card in what two and a half hours. 
something something along those lines. It seemed to go fast, even though they squeezed in a lot of fights and yeah. the thing was broadcast either on the Trillers or on the BKFC app. I don't know where they're broadcasting it at this point, but they did have, you know, a, a broadcast show going. Sean Wheelock and Chris Lytle were there on the broadcast. They did have the big screens. They did have production values. They were doing introductions and video Smoke vignettes. Machines. Smoke machines and shit uh, b- between the fights. They were doing video vignettes and things like that. And still, and still the thing seemed to fly by, frankly. Like at one point I asked you how many fights were left and you had to look it up on your on your phone. And you said, oh, there's like four or five fights left. And then I felt like we blinked and the shit was over. Britain yeah. Hart having cap- captured the women's straw weight bare knuckle FC championship belt. Uh, not a person, but a feeling. And there we were. We we were all turned out into the Great Falls night to seek our fortunes. Yeah. First of all, it pisses me right off that Britton Hart at this stage of her career does not go by The Feeling as her nickname. Because it's right there. It's obvious. It's right there. It'd be awesome. You can lean into it. That's that's a free one, Britton. You don't have to pay the $20 Venmo to CME Consulting Services for that one. You can just have it because you should have been doing it all this time. Second of all, I did not leave feeling like oh man, I didn't get enough bare knuckle boxing action. <laughs> so even though it was it was brisk, the pace was brisk, uh, we got out of there at like 8.30, uh, 9 o'clock, something around there. It, it felt like a full night of combat sports action had unfolded. You could just look around at some of the faces of the guys who were after they got out of the ring going over there to get themselves a can of Miller Lite for the reasonable price of $4.00. There at the vending table, and you went like, okay, those guys were definitely in a fist fight. Yeah, no one's going to doubt that. We should say we arrived a, a little bit late, fashionably late. Let's say we we took in the end of the prelims card and then the the start of the televised or you know whatever it is BKFC main card. We walk in the door of the Pacific Steel and Recycling Arena, and pretty much the very first thing we see is a guy coming out of the arena who has clearly just fought and looking like he got his ass kicked in his bare-knuckle boxing fight because he had two black eyes, his lips were swollen, it looked like his eyes were about to swell shut, and yet you could look at the guy and it would still be reasonable to be like, did he win? Yeah, it's possible he won and the other person was turned to dust because he looked like he had been through it. And then it was an interesting way to catch up on UFC 279 as it was unfolding because picture us in the tiki bar that is the Sip and Dip Lounge, the famous Sip and Dip Lounge of That's Great right. Falls. Where Featured you can in go. the movie uh, The Right Stuff, by the way. it's If you watch the movie The Right Stuff, the bar where the astronauts go to drink that has mermaids swimming around in a swimming pool that you can see behind the bar is, in fact, the Sip and Dip in Great Falls, Montana. Yeah. As the mermaids, very charming mermaids swimming around in the background, uh, often some some interesting live music, formerly the home of the dear departed Piano Pat. And you just picture three guys hanging around, uh, sharing a fishbowl of um, a color of green that is not normally the kind of thing you'd associate with something that you really want to drink. But there it was in a giant glass for us, a few straws stuck in there. We're sipping on our fishbowl looking up on our phones to see how Nate Diaz and T-Ferg are doing, catching an occasional gif or, or short clip that makes it seem like maybe this fight is not going awesome for anybody. Yeah. Uh, and then, lo and behold, we look down at some point, oh shit, Nate Diaz 
has submitted him. And is, I think I just saw a still photo of Nate Diaz with Tony Ferguson's head locked in a guillotine with one arm and the other arm naturally hitting the flex. I was yeah. like, well, okay. I guess maybe this was inevitable all along. Yeah. Uh, and we will get into all of that in just a minute. Uh, I asked you this question the day we were driving home with Sir Nigel, the day after the Bare Knuckle FC event. This was my first time watching Bare Knuckle Boxing, and I found it to be slightly more palatable than I first anticipated. Like, I thought I was, uh, I might be f- uncomfortable with some of it, because when I watch it on television, it's not my favorite thing. Live and in person, I tell you what, sometimes they're, they, they're in there just kind of flailing away at each other. And, you know, we were probably, what, 15 feet from the ring, 20 feet from the ring. We were close, close to the action. Uh, but but it's hard to tell what's going on. Sometimes they're just in there flurrying with each other, and then one of them falls down. And you're left to assume that person got punched, or they fl- flail away at each other, and then one person backs off and has a huge gash yeah. over their eye. And you're like, well, I guess there are some punches landing at somewhere in this melee. Uh, I pose to you the question, how, what percentage of total fighters... Do you feel like wake up the morning after a bare knuckle boxing event and either secretly or to their significant others confide that they wish they had not done it? Because I think it's a high percentage. And I think that includes the winners, not just the losers. I think that a lot of people wake up the next morning and are like, God, you know, I kind of wish I hadn't done that. I mean, there were a few people who got in and out of there with seemingly no damage. True. Yeah. Some of these fights end quickly. Some of the the matchmaking was interesting to me because especially one of the women's fights uh, where we watched a woman billed as the Russian bomb come down to the ring in like a hammer and sickle themed Soviet tracksuit kind of deal and then almost immediately got blasted right in the eye with a left hand, dropped on her back, and as she was laying on her back did the international hand symbol for no more. Yeah, please. I would like to stop this. And still, the referee, the referees will give you some some rope in BKFC, man. As they, as many knockdowns as you yeah. need. I was wondering. Not only is there's not a three knockdown in a round rule that triggers an immediate TKO. Didn't seem like there was a four knockdown rule or a five knockdown rule. No matter how many times they'll let you get up, they'll give you the count. And he let her get up, even though her eye closed immediately as soon as she got hit, never to reopen while we yeah. saw her. And she got up. The referee was asking, like, are you okay? Do you want to continue? And she was like, no, I don't want to continue. I thought that was pretty clear. And they then had to be helped out of the ring, still with her eye squeezed tightly shut. And her opponent, I think, probably went off on her merry way and decided, you know what? That was awesome. Maybe I was born for bare knuckle. Maybe this is what I should have been doing with my life all along. Some other people, though, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. When I woke up Sunday morning in Great Falls, maybe feeling the effects of the fishbowl a little bit and thinking, I've I've felt better on some mornings when my eyes opened. It wasn't exactly the greatest morning of my life. And yet I still immediately thought to myself, but I bet you feel better than a lot of those BKFC dudes. And that was a comfort to me. Yeah. So if you want to listen to our road report... From the BKFC event, a, a colorful time was had. Let's just say that. Head on over to the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon page and sign up over there. Just a reminder here, you are listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper, where, as everybody knows by now, it is in fact Pledge Month over at the CME Patreon page. Ben and I have been doing the CME Podcast for over a decade now. And please allow us to remind you, this is a totally independent show. 
We aren't owned or supported by a parent media company or a television network or a website. And you know what? I feel like most of our peers, most of the shows that our show is judged alongside, they do have that support. They have professional sets and production people and camera operators. They're doing it with a lot of advantages that we frankly don't have. Here on the CME, it's just us. It's just me and Ben, and that's why we need your support, the support of the listeners. We want to keep the discourse unfettered. We want to keep this show going, and the way that we do that is through the wonderful support of the patrons over at the CME Patreon page. Frankly, we think it's an unbelievable value. You get access to three additional podcasts each week. You get to cut to the front of the line with your listener mail submission. Get those considered first for the show. Join the CME's official Discord message board where people are constantly talking about fighting. They're even they're organizing book clubs over there, movie clubs. It's the first week of the CME Fantasy Football League, which we'll talk more about later. We're celebrating each other's successes. We're helping each other out with life's little obstacles. Many of our members call it the best online community in all of MMA, and you can be part of it, but don't take our word for it. This week, we got our guy Brandon Boyd from St. Louis here to explain exactly why he enjoys the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon so much. Hey, this is Brandon Boyd from St. Louis, Missouri, and I think the best thing about the CME Patreon is the community. I think we all know that the MMA community isn't the most friendliest or uh, most hospitable people that you'll ever meet. Uh, I've met some people on the CME Discord that I would consider friends and have no problems talking about sports, personal life, anything, and there's always, always going to be somebody there for you to laugh to cry to, it doesn't matter. It's one of the best communities that you'll ever see in MMA or possibly even on the internet. Thanks. Responses so far to Pledge Month have been great. Patreon numbers are starting to creep back up. Longtime listeners, but first-time Patreon subscribers are starting to join, just like our guy Shadrap, who has been emailing the show for a long time. He says his dad, X-Rap, got him into it, so shout-out to X-Rap as well. But Shadrap just signed up last week for the Patreon. He's already in the official Discord, and he's in there chopping it up, but we still need your help. If you listen to the CME, if you like the CME, please support the show. Right now, go to patreon.com slash event and sign up with any one of our three handy tiers of patronage to get access to all the cool shit happening over there. We need your support, you guys. Hopefully next week, we'll be announcing some exciting additions and changes to the Patreon, please go over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to be part of the team. All right, let's get into it here. UFC 279. And also a reminder that this week's episode of the co-main event is brought to you in part by NordVPN. NordVPN is for our money, the best VPN service going today. Ben has it. I have it. We both use it. In fact, I was rocking NordVPN on my phone over the weekend when I was using the public Wi-Fi at the hotel at the and at the Pacific Steel and Recycling Arena, the granddaddy of them all, when we were over there for the BKFC. I was sending tweets from the arena. NordVPN is easy to use on all your devices. Get the peace of mind that goes hand in hand with using one of the world's fastest and most powerful VPN services in NordVPN. 
Uh, it's an encryption powerhouse, and I can personally attest that it's super easy to use on all your devices. Ben, tell the kids at home about the Nord Security Bundle. Well, Chad, NordVPN has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. And if you want to really go all the way with it, if you want to go the whole hog, you can get the complete plan. It will take care of your every need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. Generate and store strong passwords. Protect files in an encrypted cloud. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain to get one free bonus month and their exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee. The headline of UFC 279 might as well be the MMA gods have smiled on Nate Diaz. Because basically the whole story of this pay-per-view was the UFC versus Nate. They tried to set him up with a terrible matchup against Kamzat Shemaev, but then, Ben, Kamzat Shemaev fucked it all up. He, he came out there and missed weight by eight pounds, seven and a half pounds during the weigh-in. They scrambled the entire card. The UFC had to quickly get everything back together. Nate Diaz ends up getting a much more favorable matchup against Tony Ferguson, which we will talk about momentarily. First, I'm going to throw in this question, listener mail question that we got from the voice actor, Voice of Garcia, which, i tell you what, some of these listener mail names get complicated. Yeah. Anyway, he writes, gentlemen, would you both say this is the biggest shit show you've ever seen from the press conference getting canceled to Chimaev missing weight by say it with me, eight pounds. The UFC uh, has to tell him now to stay at 185 pounds or will Dana just sweep this under the rug like almost anything else discourse and please have a super duper day. Now we'll talk about the future of Kamzat Chimaev in a few minutes, but is this the biggest UFC fight week shit show you can recall? I don't know, because this sport has seen some shit shows. Yeah, we've seen events canceled. We've seen events events moved across state lines Yeah, at times. So I think while UFC 279 was, in fact, in the words of Dana White, a shit show, and he was right, man. He was absolutely right. It was a shit show. But we done seen some shit shows in this sport before. Yeah, I guess you do have to maybe break it down into two categories. Shit shows... But that actually came off in the end. (laughs) And the many shit shows in MMA history that resulted in there being no event. I mean, remember when the UFC was trying to hold a secret event at an undisclosed location at the very start of the pandemic. And uh, Mickey Mouse himself had to call down and be like, you know what? Maybe don't. Maybe don't do this one. And so this sport knows its way around a shit show. Yeah. One of the things we were talking about is how... This one was different in the sense that it was a shit show where once you really started to trace some threads back to their origin, the common denominator in a lot of the shit showiest aspects of this was, in fact, Kamzat Chimaev himself. Just one guy, because he goes out there, he's in the back, he's beefing with everybody, it sounds like, behind the scenes before the scheduled pre-fight press conference on Thursday. He's beefing with Kevin Holland, he's beefing with Paulo Costa, who's not even on the goddamn card, he's beefing with Nate Diaz. Eventually, shit gets so wild that Dana White just cancels the pre-fight press conference, which was just the start. We thought, oh man, this is crazy, and that was just the start of the craziness of this week, because the next day, Kamzat Chimaev rolls out there, misses weight, not just by a little bit, mind you, because you and I are proponents of a of a close enough 
system yeah in a lot of these weigh-ins like chris barnett the big homie up there at heavyweight for example comes out misses the heavyweight limit but just by a little bit which well, and i think also man if there was anybody in the fucking world who ought to be allowed to miss weight by a little bit it's a five foot nine inch heavyweight bro <laughs> he's not getting an advantage or anything. No, nobody's really feeling shitty. You're already in the big guy division. You're in the division for the biggest guys there are. Nobody's really mad about a couple extra pounds on a five foot nine inch heavyweight. Plus, he's just so goddamn fun to be around. Just, just yeah. to have at your show the infectious enthusiasm that he brings. You can't be like, I, yes, I want to see the guy that does the jiggliest backflip you've ever, or front flip you've ever seen. I also want to see the guy that's going to drink two beers at the same time while walking out of the arena, but I need him to be a precise 266 pounds. Fuck you. Yeah. That's Chris close Barnett enough. can miss it. Yes. The Chris Barnett situation is, as far as I'm concerned, close enough. Kamzat Shemaev is a whole different thing entirely because he missed his shit by more than half a weight class. Seven and a half pounds when, when you are a 170 pound man or supposed to be a 170 pound man during the weigh-in is an enormous amount. It's an, I didn't even try to make weight you guys amount. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we went out and blamed this on a quote unquote medical issue after the fact. But if you had a medical issue that was going to cause you to miss weight by seven and a half pounds, man, either you got the worst tiramisu food poisoning in the history of mixed martial arts, or you knew this was going to happen long before it did. And indeed, there was some fallout from this that made it uh, clear that the UFC knew that Kamzat Chimaev was probably not going to make weight for this thing. Now, did they know he was going to miss by that much? I don't know. But I think it's clear Kamzat Chimaev knew from the beginning that he wasn't going to make weight. I just don't know if anybody knew that he was going to miss weight by this much. And I don't think anybody knew that the fallout was going to be quite as extreme as what happened here at the, just in terms of how the UFC 279 card was affected. Now we just answered the question, was this the biggest shit show media week lead up that we've ever seen? And I think the answer to that is no, but I'll tell you what the answer is. Yes. To me, I don't recall a shit show like this where the ultimate resolution number one i feel like kind of made the card more interesting because yeah. nate diaz versus tony ferguson was a more competitive fight and uh kamzat Shamaya versus kevin holland is you know didn't turn out to be terribly competitive but like that's the size of dude that kamzat Shamaya essentially should be fighting he should be fighting guys his own size uh and, and i don't recall a shit show that seemed to so specifically uh, affect and work to the benefit of one guy because Nate Diaz, man, I tell you what, he came out kind of smelling like a rose after this yeah. thing, because he rolls in there, chokes out Tony Ferguson. And now we are left to believe he will depart the UFC, not on the heels of a demoralizing, terrible loss to Kamzat Chimaev, which I think, you know, we could do a little MMA math having watched these fights now and kind of imagine what would have happened if we would have let Kamzat Chimaev get in the cage with Nate Diaz. And it wouldn't have been good for Nate Diaz. It would have been bad. And it Instead, wouldn't have felt great for us, the viewers, either. That's right. We asked last week, is this event going to set the, the UFC record for sadness? As it turned out, it might have come close to setting a record for weirdness, but not sadness. Because Nate Diaz wins this thing, and now he moves into free agency with as much momentum as he could ever dream of at this stage in his career. Yeah, it also, 
We've talked before about how a promoter, and it seems like at times the UFC has learned this lesson only to forget it conveniently at times too. A promoter gets into tricky territory when you're making fights that clearly you want one guy to win and the other guy to lose for whatever reason, whether it's because you've got a more of a vested interest in one party than the other, or if in this case you, you got that vested interest in one guy, but you also definitely want to see the other guy take an ass kicking for one reason or another. The UFC made this fight because they wanted to send Nate Diaz out on a loss where he looked bad, where he, where Dana White could get up there afterwards and be like, hey, look, why would we resign the guy to a contract? He's The best years are behind him. He's done. And they can also be like, but this other guy who beat him is the future, and he's still with us. Like That was clearly the goal. Everybody knew that was the goal. And instead, the MMA gods, who will not be mocked, are like when you try to play Nate Diaz, you play yourself. And so the Kamzat fucks everything up. Nate Diaz gets to fight an age and skill level appropriate opponent for where he is at. Wins it, even though, you know, this isn't going to be anybody's highlight real fight. Neither it's one not of the them, fight of the year. Neither one of them looks spectacular. But he gets a submission win at the end. Gets to look awesome. And... It, it, when you do it, it invites the viewer to be like, did your agenda work out for you, UFC? Did your yeah. shit come to pass the way you wanted it? And nope, it blew up in your face, really. Because yeah. Kamzat comes out uh, as the dude showered with booze before and after because of the way he's acted this entire fucking week. Uh, Nate Diaz is still the hero of the people, going to go off into free agency, do whatever it is that he thinks will make him the most money, probably. And you look like you tried to set up and tried to engineer a certain outcome and it, and failed. Yeah. And it's a bad look for a promoter. That's why you, yeah. that, I mean, one of the, the things people sometimes criticize the UFC for is, God, you got these guys that are both so good and you're just constantly throwing them up against each other, just taking the, the two sharpest instruments you have and battering them until they're both blunted by the thing. And yeah, that is maybe why some of them have shorter careers than boxers who get a little bit more career massaging going on with their matchmaking as they come up through the ranks. But it at least the UFC has been pretty good at times about making fights where, hey, these are the two good guys, this would be a good fight, and then we can work with it however way it goes. And every once in a while, you try to fuck around, and you try to make one to get a certain outcome, and look what happened. Yeah. Just as I said, it was easy for us to imagine what a matchup between Nate Diaz and Kamzat Shamayev would have looked like from the evidence that we got to see in these actual fights. I think it's also very easy to imagine had Nate Diaz gone out there against Kamzat Shamayev, that Dana White could have gone to the post-fight post fight press conference and been like, I think he should retire. He's got nothing left. What He's got no business even being out there anymore. Instead, he had to come to the post-fight press conference and be like, no matter what Nate Diaz goes on to do, this will always be his house. Yeah. Meaning the UFC. Uh, which was entirely more complimentary than I think any of us expected it all to go. And and all that is because Nate Diaz was able to win this fight, a winnable fight against Tony Ferguson. Uh, let's talk specifically a little bit about this fight, because as I said at the top of the show, we didn't get to watch this thing live because we were in Great Falls. And so we were kind of reading the reports as they rolled across our social media timelines, when I actually sat down to watch this thing, I'll be honest, from the reports that I saw online, I expected this to be a much weirder fight. But it actually was pretty standard. And it didn't really even get weird until the third round. Uh, it wasn't 
the best fight I've ever seen, but it also wasn't the worst. Tony Ferguson was obviously having some success with his low kicks. Uh, Diaz was boxing him up a little bit here and there, was definitely winning some rounds, I thought. Uh, I don't think Nate Diaz was quite in the kind of shape that he normally is for his fights. And I think, you know, he had come out the week of this fight saying essentially that he kind of gave up on preparation for Kamzat Chemaev. I believe his his quote about it was, fuck you, beat me, or something mm-hmm. to that extent. But it, he kind of looked like a fuck you, beat me guy out there in the cage. like Not, not in his normal kind of shape. But at the same time, these guys put on a relatively respectable performance for, for the age and career state that they were in. And I tell you what, man, Nate, for Nate Diaz to pull off this win, it's one of the bigger swings of fortune that I can remember in the sport in a long time, because it seemed like he was headed for disaster. And then instead he essentially exits on top in a way. Well, it's hard to tell sometimes with the Diaz brothers when they are fucking around just to give us a little bit of entertainment and when things are really not going well for them. And this was a tricky one because there are times where it looked like, especially in some of the stills that we saw earlier, and even when I'm watching it, the, the, the video of the fight afterwards, where he's walking over, putting his hands up on the top of the cage and leaning over where you're like, is he just resting? Does he just need a break? And like, is he gassed out? Uh, from this and then other times where like he looks like he's doing the same thing but he also just looks like he's kind of doing it to talk shit and you're going okay maybe so maybe it serves two purposes i don't know but the the thing that struck me was that it's not like either fighter really looked like the best possible version of himself tony ferguson is out there how many times did we hear tony ferguson's corner tell him stop turning your back and he didn't. He's not going to stop turning his oh, back man. at all. I've, you you expect Tony Ferguson to take his corner man's advice during a fight? I feel like we the, everything we know about Tony Ferguson up to this point leads me to believe that you can tell him to stop turning your turning his back as many times as you want to. Mm, he's not going to listen. Well, he did eventually listen. His corner had been wanting him to take Nate Diaz down. For a couple rounds there, like let's put him down, let's go, let's come on, let's 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 put them on his back there, and then finally when he goes and he does it, he gets immediately submitted. And after once again, once again, I am reminded that the Diaz brothers prefer to stand and bang, and then whenever the fight hits the ground, you're reminded, oh yeah, actually, probably their best skills are are on the ground. Yeah, because we've seen Nate Diaz do this in the past. Now we see, or I'm we've seen Nick Diaz do this in the past. We now we see Nate Diaz gets taken down and just immediately submits the other guy, just right away. No, just and almost like easily locks in that guillotine choke, gets the tap, does the bicep flex, and this is over. It's just remarkable that these guys both throughout their careers have chosen to be fan favorites and chosen to fight in a style that would be entertaining, almost eschewing the thing that they are best at. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Tony Ferguson, showing up to the post-fight press conference, asked if he's at all concerned about losing, what, five in a row now, uh, which is not great. And his response is to ask if you are glad live sports are back. Yeah. He is still taking credit for the fact that there are any live sports going on. Like, like as if Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje don't do that fight. That was sort of the first UFC back at the height of the pandemic. If they don't do that, then there's no NFL this year Yeah, in, in fall of 2022. You're welcome. We didn't, 
we did get this question from Cheesy P who wrote in to say, can we all agree that Tony Ferguson needs to retire? Well, his striking defense was never high level. It reached a new low on Saturday with his corner continuously telling him not to turn his back. Factor in his submission loss, something even the T-Ferg of a few fights ago didn't do against Oliveira. It's clear his ship has sailed. Do you agree with this? Should Is, is, uh, is Tony Ferguson at the end here? Should he walk away? You know... Except for the Michael Chandler kick that, again, came after a round in which Tony Ferguson looked pretty good and then suddenly got caught on the chin with that kick. It's not like he's out there just getting wrecked. He's he's competitive in some of these fights, at least to an extent. And he's also been fighting some pretty good-ass dudes. It's always a little weird to me to go to somebody after we've seen him you know, he has a long winning streak, so he's at the top of the division, and then he is fighting dudes like Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, you know, Charles Oliveira. Fucking good-ass dudes. Some of the best lightweights in the world. And stacks up a few losses in a row, and we go, well, clearly he needs to quit. I mean, or it's possible that he just lost to some really, really good fighters. And yeah. the Nate Diaz one... I, Obviously, you know, he didn't look great in this one, but we need to consider the circumstances for him, too, because this isn't what he was preparing for. He was preparing for a fight with the leech, which I don't think would have looked too much better for him. But still, uh, a change like that at the last minute where you're preparing for a three-round fight against a very different kind of fighter, and then they tell you, no, actually, it's five rounds in the main event against this dude. That's if you come out there and you don't look great, especially in the later rounds against in in that situation. I don't know if that means you should hang it up and never do this again. That seems yeah. like a bit of a leap to me. Yeah, I mean Tony Ferguson is thirty eight years old. He's going to turn thirty nine in February, so he is clearly getting to the age where guys start to slow down, where guys aren't considered no longer in their prime. And and I don't know kind of what else we would expect from a guy getting up to those years who's got as many miles on the tires as Tony Ferguson has in this sport. And yet I agree with you. Like if anything, I feel like he's looked somewhat revitalized these last couple of fights. And he did also, despite the fact that he got choked out and lost kind of benefited from a switch in opponent here against Nate Diaz, or he was go- able to go out, do some of his stuff and, and look a little bit better. And he was also looking a little bit better against Michael Chandler before he got kicked in the face. So I'm actually not quite at the state where I'm going to say that I'm worried about Tony Fort Ferguson going out there. Like, I don't think we're at the embarrassing stage of this thing yet, but I think he's clearly, uh, you know, the 39 year old guy who should be fighting other 37, 38, 39 year old guys. Like you don't need to put him out there against the young up and coming guys who are going to make their name off him. We can have some fun fights with Tony Ferguson and, and just see where that leads us. But I don't necessarily know that he's, that I'm pulling the rip cord on the career quite yet. You know, if, if it gets to that point, I'll come on here and say it, but right now I still feel like Tony Ferguson is able to handle some of his business in the cage. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit before we move on about Nate Diaz. Obviously he, uh, we think is going to exit the UFC. He's a free agent. He's been beefing online with Conor McGregor. We have no idea what McGregor's fighting future is. Uh, he's obviously talked about Jake Paul being an option. Jake Paul, uh, sent a video out after this fight about Nate Diaz being free uh, he's he's gone and got his own promoter's license, has Nate Diaz, so we think he's going to do some of that as well. Wouldn't it be something if Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz somehow, some way, end up co-promoting a boxing match between the two of them as the uh, the trilogy 
uh, of their rivalry. I don't know if they would ultimately need the UFC's blessing to do that or what Conor McGregor's contractual status will be as we move forward. But like, uh, it seems like the world is in some ways Nate Diaz's oyster right now. Yeah, the idea of the two of them doing a boxing match that they promoted would be interesting because as we've seen before, one thing that you can do to sort of put pressure on the UFC's contracts is to go out and get yourself a boxing license as a professional boxer. It's what Conor McGregor did uh, right at the beginning of it when we were talking about the possibility of him fighting Floyd Mayweather because it potentially triggers the Ali Act to protect you against the UFC's very wide-ranging and one-sided contracts where right now the way the UFC or the way most UFC contracts are, are worded without seeing Nate Diaz's specific one or or anybody or Conor McGregor's or anybody's it makes it so that they you really have to get the UFC's permission to do any form of combat sport like if you want to go do a grappling match or something you got you got to get their permission and yet, if you were to go get a professional boxing license and then say, I'm going to box this guy, and the UFC says, we didn't uh, agree to that, we didn't give you permission, you can't do that, then you can say, hey, I'm a professional boxer, you can tell because I got the license, and this promoter is standing in the way of my career as a professional boxer, therefore, the Ollie Act should decide whether that's legal or not. And the UFC doesn't even want to get into that conversation, I think. Yeah, for uh, obvious think, reasons, especially with a guy who's previously had a professional boxing match in Conor McGregor. Right, and so I, I think if they really wanted to do it and were willing to butt heads with the UFC a little bit on it, and why wouldn't they be, especially because if Nate Diaz is out of the UFC and has... Seemed like he exited with eyes wide open. Yeah. And if Conor McGregor is the guy who is the one person the UFC is definitely not going to fuck with as much as they can help it, then if they decide they want to have themselves a boxing match, I don't know if the UFC really wants to to stake everything on trying to stand in the way of that. Yeah. I, and like, honestly, if the UFC gets to wet its beak a little bit on the Conor McGregor end of things... I kind of would think this might be something they'd be interested in doing because number one, you breathe a little bit more life into the trilogy, in my opinion, having a boxing match between this, these two guys, when you've already seen them fight in an MMA fight twice, maybe revive a little bit of interest in their rivalry by saying, Hey, we're going to have a fight under these slightly different rules. Uh, if you're the UFC, I think there's a very good chance, you know, Conor McGregor doesn't get embarrassed by Nate Diaz in a boxing match. I would worry about Conor McGregor boxing Nate Diaz a lot less than I would worry about Conor McGregor boxing a different professional boxer. Yeah. Like those guys could probably go out there and slug it out with the big poofy gloves on and it would be fine. And you'd probably end up making a lot of money. So you're, I know you're not going to be able to wet your beak on the Nate Diaz end of things. But if you still control Conor McGregor contractually, Heck, man, might as well. Might as well let him go have a boxing match against Diaz because they're, everybody's going to make everybody's going to get to do their stuff. It might actually be a, a situation that benefits everyone. So I can't believe I'm saying that about the UFC. But if I was on their team, I'd be like, this is, seems like a good idea. Free money for us. We don't have to do anything. First of all, this motherfucker said big poofy gloves. I don't want us just to, to gloss over that. Also, though, I guess like what you're saying makes total sense if we were looking at it just from being reasonable people and, and wetting the beak we know the UFC loves to wet the beak but I was thinking afterwards after this fight where this event where Dana White at the post-fight press conference was asked about who saw 
big changes in their money in order to agree to this opponent switcheroo that went on with the, all three top fights on this card. And he, very disingenuously, it seemed, feigned confusion even at the question. And you're like, oh, what do you mean? No, these, these guys all have deals. They all have deals that say what they get paid. We didn't change anybody's deal. And we kind of went, really? Because we saw a video that Kevin Holland posted after agreeing to the opponent switch that would have him fight Kamzat Chimaev, where he's dancing around talking about how he's basically celebrating getting more money. And it seems reasonable that that would have been how that went down. I mean, if you... If these guys all agreed to this and they didn't have an agent out there advocating like, okay, we'll agree to this major change in what what our bout agreement said, but you got to pay us more money. If they didn't have an agent doing that, then they should fire their agents. That's what they're fucking for. That's exactly the situation that you should have a good manager looking out for you and realizing that you have a little bit of negotiating leverage because you're doing the promoter a big favor and that might not be a good idea for you personally. And so... When Dana White said that, when he wouldn't even admit, hey, we changed, we did a reasonable thing in giving them more money to take a, a, a different assignment. It made me wonder why lie about that. Yeah. And it seems like the likely answer is we don't want everybody to start thinking that's the way it works. Yeah. Well, I know Kevin Holland wasn't dancing about the change of opponent. No. So he must have been no. dancing about something else. And I don't know what that would be except getting more money. And so I think that that would also be the concern. Like if the UFC was looking at, okay, one of our fighters and one of our former fighters wanted to promote their own boxing match, uh, we could stay out of the way, make a little bit of money, and not come off as colossal pricks who are you know, trying to stop these guys from giving the fans something that they might like to see. The one thing that might convince them to instead go ahead and risk being those colossal pricks is we don't want to tell everybody that they could do this. We don't right. want everybody thinking that they could go off together and promote their own boxing matches because the next thing you know, they cut you out of the business. It just seems like boxing Nate Diaz is the sweetest deal Conor McGregor and the UFC are ever going to get as far as I'm concerned. Uh, speaking of sweet deals, the NFL season kicked off last week. And even though my team was so far the lowest scoring team in the entire co-main event Patreon Fantasy Football League... I'm keeping the faith. I'm taking it one day at a time. I'm focusing on the things I can control and hoping yeah. that I'm just going to put myself in a position to make plays to help the team. For the rest of you, you can get ready for week two of the NFL for touchdowns, big play, big plays, and even bigger wins with the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 points at any time during the game you get paid instantly even if your team loses that's insane i've never heard of that deal before seems like a uh, pretty good deal from DraftKings. ben tell everybody listening at home how it works we download the DraftKings sportsbook app now use promo code co-main event all one word to get 200 in free bets instantly when you place a five dollar bet on any football game that's code co-main event only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum agent eligibility restrictions apply. See our show notes for details. 
I tell you what, Chad, uh, Team Tater Pig is coming down to the wire in its first game against Stipe Taft. All Alistair felt it. Uh, it all comes down to Monday Night Football, and let's just say I need Denver Broncos running back Javante Williams to have himself a game. Yeah, I need my kicker to score about 20 points tonight, but uh, I don't necessarily know that that's going to happen. We talked earlier to this, in this show about Kamzat Shemaev being the one who fucked this whole shit up. The interesting thing is that it kind of seems like he will face zero consequences. Yeah. I'm going to read this question from Dan Alexander, who wrote in, so Kamzat misses weight by a whopping seven pounds, the same birth weight as my eldest child. A high- <laughs> Thank you for putting that in perspective, by the way. <laughs> he missed weight by a brand new human equivalent. Then a hydrated and happy looking Kamzat ragdolls Holland. Chucky Olives misses weight by half a pound and still has his belt taken from him. When asked about Kamzat, Dana's response went something like, what do you want me to do? What the fuck is going on here? Something smells fishy. Please discourse. Now, this is odd that uh, I feel like if anybody else or many other people, let's say, caused all of this trouble in and around UFC 279, it would be curtains for them in their UFC career. And yet it seems like Kamzat Chemaev is just going to skate out of this thing smelling like a rose. Like not only does it not seem like the UFC is, is mad at him. They seem like they're just happy as, as they always are to, to be promoting a Kamzat Chemaev fight. Uh, this guy didn't even get fined because they ended up swapping out Nate Diaz for Kevin Holland, giving him a 180 pound catch weight fight. So technically even the guy, even though the guy rolled up there and weighed 178.5 for a welterweight fight, he didn't get fined because they switched his opponents. They were like, oh, no, he was almost perfectly on weight for his 180-pound catchweight fight. <laughs> for the, He was almost perfectly on weight for the fight he was not weighing in for. You're right. It is amazing how he, he is the common denominator in all these press conference fracases from what we heard. He misses weight so badly that the entire card has to be, main card basically has to be rearranged. He's the domino that falls, that forces everybody else to adjust what they're doing. Shows a complete lack of remorse for any of it. It's just like, fuck you guys for ever expecting me to make weight. Yeah. Not even going to be like, oh, hey, sorry, shit happens. Bro. Like, not even that level of contrition around it. Just basically like the hell with everybody who expected me to be a professional and make the weight that I agreed to make. And yeah, the the UFC clearly wants Kamzat Shemaev to be a big thing. Yeah. They, they, they see the potential there. Uh, they, they feel like, you know, we're losing a Habib. We need another guy who has a region behind him. And this looks like the guy looks like he's going to end up being pretty good. And they really like the, the reason they put him in this fight. It's not only so that Nate Diaz is take an ass kicking on the way out the door, but so that some of Nate Diaz's star power could be lent to Kamzat as he looks to be somebody that they're trying to promote in the future. And so Data White takes a very different stance on this in all the ways before and after than he would if it was somebody else that he yeah. didn't like. If he's somebody else that he didn't like, he'd be talking about what unprofessional bullshit it is to miss weight and then how maybe you shouldn't be celebrating like you won the goddamn World Cup when you came in overweight. You got it. The opponent they gave you was the one who seemed least capable of dealing with your specific skill set. And so you went out there and grappled his ass. Well, you know, that's the biggest weakness in Kevin Holland's game. And he wasn't preparing for this in this particular fight camp. He was preparing for a different kind of a fight. And instead, Dana White came out and he was like, well, man, look what he did to Kevin Holland, who's 6'2". 
<laughs> he kept mentioning that. He's, Kevin Holland is 6'2", you guys. I don't think anybody expected Kamza to do that to him. Well, first of all, your boy Ben Folks called him doing exactly that in my prop squad bet. Plus 700 odds on Kamzat Shmeya via submission in the first round. That's exactly what I called. It's exactly what happened. So it was not exactly entirely unforeseen when they rearranged things so that that would happen. But clearly, it's not like this is the first time we've ever realized that there are different sets of rules for different people in the UFC. It just becomes so obvious here. Especially another thing that seemed like maybe Dana White was not telling the God's honest truth up there is when he was like, well... It wasn't that, you know, we wanted to change the fight or that they wouldn't accept the fight. But, like, the commission wasn't going to sanction this fight since Kamzat came in seven and a half pounds over Nate Diaz's weight. But it's like, wait a minute, bro. The restructuring of the card put Li Jingliang in there with Daniel Rodriguez. And there was, like, eight pounds, like close to nine pounds uh, difference between those two guys. And that, that didn't seem to be a problem for the commission. Yeah. Now, the, the handling of Kamzat Shmaev is a little bit strange here. I know they think he's going to be a big star, but you'll remember even uh, when the UFC was beefing a little bit with Conor McGregor, remember when he didn't show up for that press conference and they like put the empty chair up on the stage with his with his name tag in front of it as if to say, look at this asshole didn't even show up for this fucking shit. With Kamzat Shmaev, he didn't just not show up for a press conference. He caused the cancellation of an entire press conference. And they haven't said shit about it. They haven't said anything negative about Kamzat Shmaev. They're still laying it on thick during the broadcast saying, oh, he might be the hardest worker in the world. And he's a future UFC champ. And Dana White comes to the post-fight press conference. And it has nothing but glowing things to say about the guy. I, I, I'm struggling to think of a... Uh, of a time in this sport where I saw a guy cause this much chaos, miss weight by seven and a half pounds, and not only go out there and look dominant in the cage, which he did, and we will talk about that in a second, but then get these glowing reviews from the UFC. Like something, there is something even more special about this guy, in their opinion, I think, than uh, than the the other people that they've been high on. Because I haven't heard him say a single negative thing, which is kind of remarkable considering all of the fallout from his actions well do you think that this is just Kamsat Shumayev's heel turn because yeah let's 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 talk about that for a minute this was a bad matchup for Kevin Holland from the start uh and Kamsat Shumayev kind of wears him around the cage like a hat but I'm going to read this question from from Kieran Byrne, who wrote in and said, for all their supposed long-term beef coming into the fight, push kicks to the chest, behind the scenes, etc., one of the first things Kamzat did when he got in the ring was give Kevin Holland multiple thumbs up, making sure he got recognition from Holland. And then when the round starts, Holland went in with the hand, the high, the hand high, let's, like, let's touch gloves, and Hamzat shot almost a second from the opening bell. He did this. Kevin Holland was going out for the glove touch and Hamza Chimaev goes right under it, gets the first takedown. And essentially that's all she wrote in this bad boy. That's all he needed to get this thing done. Then when it's over, he jumps on the mic and all he's doing all of his stuff and everybody's booing and all this. It does seem like he has fully embraced within the last 72 hours or so, the idea of going full heel. And I almost wonder like, is it too much? Is it too much of a heel turn at this point for Kamzat Chimaev? It doesn't seem like it's really a choice for him, does it? It seems like this is just who he is. Because the heel 
the what people are mad at, the reason they're booing you in the first place, is because you fucked up this whole card by missing weight so bad, and then like just giving people the finger literally on the scales, never saying like, "Hey, my bad, you guys." That's why you get booed coming out there, because uh, it wasn't like that for him beforehand, and. Then afterwards, we like, hey, I killed this guy. I don't care that I didn't make weight. I'm going to kill everybody. And it's like, people are going to say, you know what? This guy seems like a dick. Yeah. Fuck this guy. But if they think, fuck this guy, and you keep running through people really easily, that could work for the UFC's purposes and for his purposes. That could be a thing because then if people really want to see you get your ass kicked, and it's really hard for anybody to kick that ass. That a lot of a lot of hay has been made of that in fight sports history. You could really work with that. It just doesn't seem to be what the original plan was. I mean, faking a guy out like you're going to touch gloves with him and then shooting the takedown immediately so he doesn't even get the chance to throw a single punch at you before you put him on his back and eventually work into this uh submission is in fact not just like a a a scripted outside the cage heel move. That is a 100% dick move inside the cage during the fight, which is a little something extra for the people. Uh, but he just ragdolled him, man. Just absolute domination from Kamzat Chemaev against Kevin Holland. Locked in that Darce choke like three or four different times before he finally was able uh, to force the tap. And like I said before, man, I don't know if I've ever seen such a difference between the huge disaster that he was outside the cage last week to how dominant he was in the cage. Like usually if someone misses weight or usually if they are uh, this big of a disaster in other ways, it generally uh, portends a poor performance in the cage. Yeah. Like a guy misses weight by seven and a half pounds. That's when you start thinking, Oh, something's wrong here. Like maybe he has an injury. Maybe he has a quote unquote medical issue. Why is he not able to, to make the weight? But in this Kamzat Chemaev looked perfectly healthy, looked perfectly willing, looked uh, ready to go out there. Maybe there was something going on, and that's why he started so fast. But damn, man, just a dominant performance once again by this guy. Yeah, but again, it is, of all the matchup reshuffling to do there, he got one that really played to his strengths. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin Holland, fun guy to have around. I like Kevin Holland. That is the weakest part of Kevin Holland's game for sure. And that would be the case even if he had six to eight weeks to prepare for nothing but dealing with the particular kind of challenges that Kamzat Shemayev brings. And he didn't. He had like 24 hours. So yeah, that's what was going to happen. And I guess the question then is, what do we do with Kamzat Shemayev from here? It seems like he will avoid any kind of consequences or punishments or even stern words from the UFC over forcing the cancellation of an entire press conference and then missing weight by half a weight class, causing the entire pay-per-view card to get scrambled. And then he rolls out there, beats Kevin Holland in, in uh, what was it, two minutes and 13 seconds. And Kosadovic uh, is still looking like the UFC's big up-and-coming star. What do we do with him? There had been some talk from Dana White even saying uh, he should probably be a middleweight. And so uh, we don't know exactly what his future is. I've seen it. Uh, put out there that if he stays at welterweight, maybe a guy like Colby Covington makes sense. Although the lead up to that fight would probably be uh, unbearable 
frankly. <laughs> and uh, I've seen it said, you know, if he moves up to 185, maybe we put him out there with Paulo Costa, a guy that he's already beefing with. What do you do with this guy if it's up to you? Yeah, I think that if you're the UFC, it's all well and good to try to be as supportive as you can uh, outwardly and you want to continue to have this guy be a thing for you going forward. But if you can't trust him to make the weight, that makes the job a lot tougher of plotting a course for him. And to to miss by that much, that does seem like, how, how do you put him in the main event or a, a prominent place on a card as a welterweight again? Uh, it you you would have to think like okay let's let's see if we can make a middleweight fight for him and see how that goes. The Paulo Costa one is right there just because you know they're they're beefing pretty publicly. They're throwing it right in your lap if you decide that you want to make that fight and take whatever risk comes with it. But you you can't really put that much faith in like okay it was supposed to be a title shot kind of fight. For Kamzat, right? If, if he beat Nate Diaz and looked good, then the title fight was next. That that was the, the narrative going into it. But when you don't even get close to the weight, how can we give you a title shot then? we got to do something else. And yeah. so it's either the next fight has to either be about making him prove that he can make welterweight or starting him over as a middleweight. And it seems yeah. a little bit more dependable to start him over as a middleweight. Yeah, I agree. Especially if he's going out there and beating guys who are 6'2". Like Can you believe it? Against Kevin Holland. Uh I, I you know, this is a weird week for him though, man. Like he 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 definitely had a lot of problems this week, caused a lot of problems, then got a sort of advantageous matchup and went out there and beat up Kevin Holland, which was a great win for him. We saw him against Gilbert Burns in a in a tougher fight the time out before. I'm not totally sure what to think about Kamzat Shemaev at this point. He seems like he has a lot of skills. But, like, I'm somewhat less sure of his place than I was headed into this whole UFC 279 mess just because of all of that stuff. And so I'm going to reserve judgment a little bit, I think, here on on his greatness because, you know, after a week like this, yeah, you got the win against a guy who is kind of ill-prepared for your style. But I don't know, man. The rest of it was, let's just say, not flawless. Yeah, And so uh, we'll just have to see where it goes. There's some other stuff here we wanted to uh, clean up about UFC 279. UFC 279. We've got some a uh, couple listener mail questions I want to get in here first, though. Uh, we did want to make note of some incredibly sad news to report from the MMA community uh, that we lost one of the tr- tr- truly like good seeming people in this space. Elias Theodoro passed away this week after what was reportedly a battle with stage four liver cancer uh, that he kept out of the public eye before his death. So it was a surprise, I think, to a lot of people to see this news float across the timeline in the last day or two. Uh, Just unbelievably tragic. And again, a guy who was 34 years old, I think, and I'm not really sure that I ever heard anyone say a bad thing about Elias Theodoro, which is kind of rare in MMA. Uh, so not only super tragic to lose someone at that age, uh, but also to lose a person that seemed to be universally, universally liked in a space where almost no one is. So that is just terribly tragic. Yeah. I mean, I got to know him a little bit at talking to him for various stories over the years. And that's always how he seemed to me as like somebody who was very 
comfortable in being himself, even in ways that didn't always fit into what people expected of pro fighters, uh, that he just, he knew who he was and he was, uh, unapologetic about that. Like from the ongoing quest that he was on to be the first fighter to get a therapeutic use exemption for marijuana. When so many other fighters had approached it, just being like, let me just see how do I beat the test and get around it. And he took it on and be like, this, it's ridiculous that anybody would want to test and punish for this. And so I'm going to deal with it. Um, or just like the fun stuff he did, like being the ring card boy for yeah. Invicta, uh, like that kind of stuff that belied a certain like confidence that he had in who he was and, and his willingness to do stuff like that. And that was not what you get from every pro fighter in this space. Um, and so it was really shocking because yeah, I, I had no idea that he was sick. I mean, liver cancer can be an especially cruel and uh, rapid and aggressive form. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a real shock and real sad news to hear that he had died. Yeah, yeah I interviewed him a time or two. I never knew him that well, but I always found him to be uh, gracious and super uh, easygoing and just a nice guy. So that's it's incredibly sad news here to report about the passing of Elias Theodoro. Um, let's get into a couple of these listener mail questions here. We got this one from Notch Johnson who writes, can we all agree that the leech deserves his show money, win money, and some sorry we dicked you over money and full reimbursement on his dope ass suit. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week on the power hour over on the Patreon page, but Lee Jing Leong did seem like he got an incredibly raw deal last week from all of this stuff from a, uh, a situation that he had almost nothing to do with. By the way, like wasn't even supposed to be uh, really involved with this whole Kamzat Chemayev thing. And not only does he get someone grabbing him by the elbow and dragging him back when he's about to walk out on stage in his nice new suit that he bought for the press conference, they're saying, no, no, we canceled it. But then he has to go out there and get a much tougher fight that he hadn't been preparing for against Daniel Rodriguez, a 180 pound catchweight fight. He ends up losing a split decision in that one. So man, yeah, tough, tough week for Li Jingliang. However, like if you want to try to find a silver lining in the whole thing, it does kind of seem like uh, maybe many people that didn't have tremendously firm ideas about Li Jingliang in the past now feel somewhat uh, you know, good about the guy somewhat kind of like, Oh, we want to see good things happen for the leech now. And maybe before we were a little bit, uh, you know, didn't, didn't care all that much. Yeah. I mean, he did get the rawest of deals throughout this whole week. Cause you mentioned had a dope ass suit for the press conference that he didn't get to wear out in public because people couldn't act right. Knuckleheads are fighting in the back and the whole thing got canceled. Had to go back to the hotel room and take it off and hang it back up in the closet. Then, when we start doing the reshuffling, uh, everybody else ends up getting to fight somebody their size, except for him. He's the one who's got to fight somebody who's like almost 10 pounds bigger than him. And then he goes out there and he does the fight, probably deserved to win the fight, and loses the decision. He yeah. just couldn't catch a break here. So, yeah, I, I'd hope that at the very least you could come out of that being a sympathetic figure. Next question here from Toucan Ham, who writes, let's all send thoughts and prayers. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let's all send thoughts and prayers. I really, that one really gets you. you it's, it's, you're a big fan of the toucan ham handle. It's just, it's clever. I like it. Let's all send thoughts and prayers to Chris Barnett, who recently lost his fiance to illness and rallied to stave off his own demise to rebound and TKO Jake Collier in the second round. Shame that he missed weight, therefore relinquishing a percentage of his purse and rendering him ineligible for a bonus. 
Uh, Chris Barnett was a sizable underdog in this fight. I think he was like plus 300 or something close to that last week on the DraftKings Sportsbook. It was the kind of thing that I looked at for a while and was like, do I place an underdog bet on Chris Barnett, frankly, just because I like the guy, Uh, but ultimately didn't. And then he goes out there in the fight and gets the second round TKO over uh, the much larger, by the way, Jake Collier. And then it does all of the Chris Barnett stuff that we like to see with the celebrations and the, the, the gif of him walking back with the beer in his hand. And then he gets handed another beer and the face that he makes and the sip that he takes from those beers is just incredible. Like this is another guy where it's just like, I look at the sport and I'm like, man, it almost seems like we don't deserve a person who has this much fun, especially knowing the stuff who that has been happening in his personal life. Yeah. And the guy's just, the, the infectious enthusiasm that he brings to any event is is something that we sorely need more of in MMA. To watch that guy go out there and you're like, oh, he won a fight. Is he going to do the flip? Hell yeah, he's going to do the flip. And it's going to look like it fucks his spine all up, but he doesn't even care. He's going to do some dancing afterwards, drinking two beers at once, all that stuff. I mean, if if we gave a shit at all about what's right, we would give him back his money. That, that they took for coming in two pounds over at the in the fat guy division to begin with. That's just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, so uh, hopefully Chris Barnett will be able to, to keep it going in the UFC for a little while. He's two and two in his four fights there. He's got wins over Jean Vellante and now Jake Collier. So uh, I will be excited to see him get booked again and to go out there and, and put on another performance. This question came in from our guy Isaac Spooner over there on Patreon, who wrote, Irene Aldana has lots of cats. He says a lot of cats, and he emphasizes that. I think she got that KO kick from one of them. Stay frosty. Irene Aldana stopped uh, her opponent here with an up kick to the body in the third round, which is not something you you don't see a ton of up kick stoppages as it is. You don't see a ton of up kick stoppages to the liver which is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to upkick somebody and you can't reach their face, I guess that's the next blessed place to get them. If you can go in there and stick a heel in their liver, I mean, that doesn't yeah. seem fun. Yeah. Irene Aldana now 4-1 and one in her last five. So she is creeping up there in the bantamweight division. And another good win for her over the weekend. I uh, also wanted to mention Johnny Walker. Getting the underdog win over Iwan Kutalaba here in the the opener of the UFC 279 pay-per-view. Sunk in the rear naked choke right near the end of the first round. He, Aldana, Nate Diaz, and Jailton Almeida were your performance of the night winners. All of them picking up an extra $50,000. So congratulations to them. Here's another question from Nick in Australia about our... our uh, experience in great falls he writes what differences are there covering a bkfc event to an mma one re access rules etc now this we talked about on our road report over there on the patreon page but uh you and i both agreed we have never received a press pass that came with less acknowledgement i guess i would say than the ones we got at bkfc where we just like walked to the to the window to the to the ticket window gave them our names were handed these press passes 
and then no one ever said another word to us from the rest for the rest of the night. There yeah. was no press section. Uh, as far as we know, there were no press conference. There was no access to the fighters. There was, you know, maybe if we had been a little bit more assertive about it, we could have figured something out. But uh, I was actually worried on the way over there since we were going to BKFC for you know, our comedy podcast, our comedy fighting podcast. I was like, are they going to be mad at us for taking press passes? And then like not actually being that interested in doing a ton of coverage of the BKFC event. It turned out nobody might've even known we were there, man. Like it yeah. was, we just like had to find our own seats. Yeah. No, I and- still don't know if we were supposed to be sitting where we were sitting. We just got the press pass. They said like floor access, but that covered a lot of territory. And then, we just saw some seats that looked close to ringside, and we went, let's just sit there and see if anybody says anything, and they didn't. Yeah. As it stands, we ended up sitting right behind Joe Riggs' entire family. Joe Riggs, who is relocated to Great Falls, by the way, has himself an MMA and fitness gym up there, Counterpunch MMA and Fitness, and appears to be opening his doors to the local street toughs of Great Falls and just churning out at least bare knuckle fighters. I assume MMA guys as well, but it seems like uh diesel counterpunch MMA and fitness has some guys at the very least. Yeah. We seem to be sitting in a section where there were a lot of friends and family of fighters nearby. And I could tell that Sir Nigel was working his usual magic when, as he was sitting next to me, making fun of one of the fighters names, uh, it became apparent that the guy next to him was eavesdropping on our conversation when he guffawed out loud and then was like, sorry, <laughs> just couldn't help it. Cause yeah. that's, that's what you get when Sir Nigel's around. I mean, we should point out the fighter's name was Rusty Crowder. Rusty and Crowder. If, if your name is Rusty Crowder, you can just go ahead and book it. That Sir Nigel is going to make some off color remarks about that. <laughs> yep. Yep. That just about wraps it up for this week's uh, co-main event podcast. Next week, of course, this weekend, the UFC staying down there in Las Vegas at the Apex for UFC Fight Night, where Corey Sandhagen and Song Yudong are doing it in the main event is a bantamweight fight. Chidi Njikawani, also in action, Andre Feely, Tanner Bozer. Been a while since we heard from Tanner Bozer, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, and then, a, you know, a host of preliminary fights aspen lad versus sarah mcmahon you'd think that one would get bumped to the main broadcast trevin giles on this thing uh so you know it's a it, we're, we're doing the rinse and repeat fight night cycle again now after ufc 279 15 fights scheduled for this thing which is a lot but uh that's that's where the ufc will be at i assume we will talk more about that this week on the patreon page we'd love it if you would support us over there patreon.com slash co-main event if you have a question comment or concern for the podcast you can go over to our actual website co-mainevent.com and reach us there and uh we'll be on patreon the rest of the week So check us out over there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. Rusty Crowder, I hardly know her. I swear to God, if I get one more text from Sir Nigel talking about how he would have gotten out of the game with Rusty Crowder, I'm going to block him. It's just about a hand. Block him anyway. Yeah. We had our chances. We just didn't, didn't you, know, the trigger. you know what? Great Falls was too good to us. They didn't deserve it.